Digital marketing seems to be the mystery that most entrepreneurs struggle with, and real estate investors are no exception. The truth is, there are multiple avenues to success. Those experiences will be best shared by the guests on this podcast. My name is Jason Wright, and I would like to welcome you to Real Estate Investor Marketing Stories. What is happening, Jason Wright here. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number seven. And got some got some thoughts to share with you before we get into the show today. Uh, we do have another awesome guest. We'll get into that in a little bit. At the time you're listening to this, this is the week of the 2023 Best Ever Conference in Salt Lake City, Utah. So it'll be my first time attending. I'm excited about that. I am not speaking at this conference, so I get to just do some networking and eat some good food. It'll be my first time to the state of Utah. I've actually seen Utah from the highest point in Nevada when I climbed Mount Charleston in Nevada, but never crossed into the state before. So it'll be it'll be one of those experiences where I can check off another state I've been to. I've been to Colorado, been to Wyoming, been all around Utah, but in Nevada, haven't been there. So I will get to do that. Looking forward to seeing current and past clients, meeting new people, and then I'm just seeing a similar group of people that I see uh, everywhere I go with these conferences, so should be a lot of fun. You know, it's March, right? It's March, so it's going to be cold out there. Getting a little bit of nice weather here in Indiana, so spring, warm weather's coming. It's coming for us all. Last week, the, this podcast launched. We we launched it with five episodes, which was <laughs> a little challenging, but it worked out fine. We got five episodes, and we're doing, obviously, audio, and we did the video as well. And it just, it's been kind of a wild ride. It's been a lot of fun. Feedback's been great. I really, really enjoy it for a bunch of reasons. But this is the first episode you listen to. You should go back and check out some more. Some really good stuff. Every guest is totally different, totally different story. But it just makes it uh, so unique, right? It's so real. It's so real and so needed. So pretty cool stuff. This week, I will be speaking to a client and good friend, John Totterud from Cardinal Oak Investments. Uh, John has been a full-time multifamily investor since 2010. He's done all kinds of stuff. Guy's done all kinds of stuff in his background with real estate. He is a software founder and CEO of a, a software company, kind of a software engineer. Real smart guy. Real smart guy. So uh, we had a great conversation today, and instead of me telling telling you about it, why don't we just get into it? You can see for yourself. So. Here's my conversation with John. Hey, John, how's it going? It's going good, Jason. How are you? I'm doing well. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show, and I don't know this story about you, so I'd love to hear how you get got started down this road of real estate investing. Uh, yeah, glad to share it. it. It at my stage, it's a long story, so I'll keep it brief. I, I'm <laughs> starting out in technology. I, just, I often my whole life I just had a fondness for putting things together and figuring out things how things work. And then along came computers. And so computers were my career. I was a software engineer. Right? I moved to engineering management through a lot of different trials and tribulations, a learning experience. I had some early entrepreneurial experiences that were that were marginally successful. I was definitely very interested and I thought this is my passion. I need to be an entrepreneur. Kept my job, but I got a lot of education out of them. Um, uh, some good experiences. I designed a software product and 
built a business around it and had that business for 10 years. Hired people, went out and learned sales and marketing and raising money. A lot of different aspects of the business that I would have never had if I just stayed a software engineer. I raised startup funds for a web business. So when I got to a point in my life where I knew I wanted to take more control of my financial destiny, I, I found real estate. So I um, started with some small properties near me, had a job, bought the properties, was the full-time property manager for them. So I took the calls during the day. I'm sitting in the office and and get a call from a tenant and have to do something. Either have to, to take a trip to the property, not too far away, but or find people who can do that. I learned about leasing and uh, what leases need to have in them, how to market advertised for tenants, how to screen and interview tenants, and then um, how to keep them happy, how to keep them in the units, and how to keep things running, how to get things fixed, uh, which different skills do I need, what people do I need in my, uh, in my relationships, and then eventually made more income off of them, built the income and and figure out at an early age, at an early stage, what uh, drives the value in a property, how it's based on your operating income and, and not so much comparable houses or so multifamily properties. And so these were small, but still grew value in them, sold them, bought larger properties and along the line, um, started going to multifamily conferences and went to some early on, met people, talking to people and hearing about what they do and and really getting to know them, especially the successful ones, tremendously informative. And I learned syndication along the way. And so learned about training opportunities and you know how, how to beat people who do syndication, what syndication is all about, that you eventually run out of your own money and you still want to buy properties and you want to pool other people with people's money. And you realize there's a lot of people who want to join someone who's educated and experienced in this. And so I learned syndication, went to more conferences that I started doing syndications and found really good team members and have grown from there. That's still what I do today. I try to meet people that I think would make good partners in yep. deals and try to research markets. I, I love doing the research part of it, figuring out which markets are good. I have a lot of good broker relationships. And so early on, you know, as any entrepreneur, we're doing everything. We're doing all the different steps and um, and figuring out what needs to be done. Some folks just kind of jump into one specific area, but I, I've covered it all and and I'm um, I'm focused in, in just a few of those key areas now and have uh, good partners to help out. Awesome. Well, I appreciate, I like that story. It's, there's a lot of things I didn't know about you, so very, very good. And I'll say, I agree with you. As an entrepreneur, when you're doing everything, figure out what you don't like too, don't you? Yes. <laughs> yes, or at least what I don't think that I'm good at. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's funny because like, you know, I heard something one time and the person that said it said, there's things we're all naturally really good at. And if you just focus on the things you're really good at, you can become great. And then if you find other people who are great at the things that you're not, it's maybe a better use of your time. So it's that's always kind of stuck with me and I, it's open for debate, but... I've tried to do that, right? I've tried to kind of stay in my lane of what I really enjoy and I'm really good at and to get other people who are, you know, uh, like you said, partners that are better in areas where I'm not. So good stuff. Yeah. Well, you you realize that, I mean, I, I had a strong feeling that, hey, I'm good at this. Yeah. But then I'd meet other people 
who are way better at it. And I just think, wow, I, I'm, I'm very impressed. And I'm, you know, now at a stage where I can appreciate their skills and experience and knowledge about something. And absolutely. And well, you touched about this uh, just a minute ago, a little bit, but I'm curious what asset classes and or markets do you usually focus on and why? Yes. Um, asset classes are certainly multifamily. Multifamily is where, where I invest. I am, um, I can see an interest in other asset classes, mobile home parks, senior assisted living, even storage, just a lot of great opportunities in those areas. I, not to say that I would never consider them, but I'm focused on multifamily. My markets are the Southern Midwest tier. So around Kansas, Missouri, I like Oklahoma, um, even Arkansas, some areas of those and Kentucky, I'm the major metros are in those areas. I'm not somebody to look to wander into tertiary of a market. I think there's good cash flow and opportunities in those markets. The problem that I found though, is that a dependence on a small number of employers and a difficulty in finding qualified property management in those areas. It's a, it's a, you find a good one and then there's a problem with it and not, often not a lot of other options. So I, I focus on the major cities and, and those states and, gotcha. and certain areas of the states and I find good cash flow and there's a lot of demand for the properties. So when I do the work that I say I'm going to do, I've built up the value and grown the equity and, and I'm ready to sell. There are buyers. There's buyers in this. Very nice. So switching gears a little bit here, what simple marketing strategies and tactics kind of allowed you to initially get traction with getting new investors into your business? I want investors to see what I've done, even if it's small, that's so important. And so I'm, I'm willing to put myself out there with a website, but also share and, and open my background up and answer questions, but also share what experiences that I've had are relevant to this. I am also proactive on a phone. Yeah. I'm a strong believer in social media. I was on board with internet back when internet came first came along and back in the mid nineties, when people were first starting to catch on and figure this stuff out, I had a partner. We started an internet, internet company. I've, I'm not the expert that so many other uh, people are around social media and internet, but um, I'm a believer, believer in it. And I, and I want people who are, who do well with that. That's not my only means though. My marketing has come from uh, creating a personal relationship. And so people I meet, whether it's at a local meetup or online somewhere, or particularly at a multifamily conference, those are people that will hear from me again. That's surprising. And I'm sure you've seen this also. You go to these multifamily conferences, we hand out cards, we exchange cards, and and we talk to each other for a few minutes and, and meet some very qualified, experienced, informed people who are very interested in all this, but we never hear from them again. They'll never call us. It's like almost not even worthwhile carrying your own card to hand out to them because you won't hear from them. They hear from me though, and they're always glad to talk with me. And that's been one of my most valuable um, uses of my time is to have these conversations. Well, I think it's really smart because uh, in this space, I've noticed that you know being able to look somebody in the eye and shake their hand is really important. You know, before I invested in my LP deal. I met the person and got really comfortable with it. And I can see how that's uh, super, super important. There's some investors out there that don't require that. We'll invest with you without talking to you or meeting you, but it is a big advantage where you can actually meet somebody. And like you said, 
work on that relationship. So I think it's powerful stuff. Switching gears a little bit again, what would you say has been the biggest mistake you have made in marketing so far? Have you looked back on anything and got this one? Man, what was I thinking? No, I, I've not regretted the things that I've done. I've only regretted procrastinating at it. And I, I hate to think of myself as a procrastinator. I really don't. But yeah. but for sure, I've put off things that I should have done earlier. I mean, I, I I've got so many people I would call friends in the business and multifamily that I've made friends over the years and I've had been friends with them for several years who have gotten a, a very fast start because they've done well with certain things like marketing for investors and made relationships. And yeah. I'm super impressed. They have a lot more units than I do. And and so I look back, I would be doing more of this earlier. I I don't think there are like social media posts or marketing activities that I've taken on that I thought were a waste of time. I really haven't seen any of those yet. As a minimum, if they weren't as productive as others, then they're telling me something. They're they're selling, saying maybe that's not the place to spend more of your time in the future, or maybe um, I didn't do it quite right, but but I'm still glad that I did it. Yeah. And so it's just doing not doing enough earlier on. Yeah, and I think a lot of people could probably say the same. You know, a lot of people could say, man, I should have started that sooner, but you can't go back. All you can do is learn from it and make an adjustment and roll forward. So totally get that. All right. I would love it if you'd be willing to share a story about your real estate investing journey that you haven't shared publicly or on another podcast. So it could be anything you want. A lot of times people share something funny, but it can be any anything that comes to mind. Okay. I'll share one story. And not. Uh... Not going to name names, but I had held this one property for a long time. Not necessarily a long time, but several years, a lot more than I would have anticipated. I wanted to do a uh, a, a 1031 exchange. I wanted to sell it and buy something else in another market and um, because it all had a lot of equity built, built up in it. And I started, I mean, a 1031 exchange... As you know, and anybody who's been through the process knows, uh, it's a kind of a delicate process. Is um, once you sell your property, you've got these fixed time limits on how, um, how how long you have before you identify properties you might want to buy, and how long you have before you close the, on the property. And those those times start ticking when you sell the property you want to exchange. And so, a lot of people are not successful at it because they just couldn't find another deal. And I've heard this and I completely aware of it. So I started it kind of in reverse. I started looking around for properties first and I, I wanted to know what I thought I might buy. At least I wanted to have those relationships. I want to know what properties were available so I could put it in offers and try to negotiate and get the properties pretty close to under contract at least, but at least have a good idea. But I wanted a degree of confidence that I could sell my current property quickly. And so that was to me my first step. I started calling around brokers in the area of where I owned, I owned that property. And I said, I'm thinking of selling. And what are the prospects? What do you think I can sell it for? And I didn't give them too much information, but um, they all confirmed that there was a lot of demand in that market. I should not have any trouble finding a pro- finding a buyer in that market. And uh, they were all very positive on on selling this property in that particular market. And it was reassuring. And so I 
I'd talked to several of them. And so then I moved on to, 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 to talking to brokers in the markets where I wanted to buy and I talked to them and I started looking for properties, but it wasn't not, it was not long into that process before I, I started getting unsolicited offers because the brokers knew I was in play and, and I was thinking, well, you know, that's not a bad thing. I've not listed it. They don't even have my financials and already I'm getting offers and, um, you know, they were they were contingent on seeing all that stuff and everything, but I was thinking, wow, this is uh, this is maybe moving a little too quickly. And and then one one of the offers was from somebody I knew, and I thought, well, okay, this seems to be a credible offer, and maybe I should consider it strongly. And because the offer was in the price range that I wanted, and I started moving down the line with them, and knowing that I was probably going to get be able to find my my target property, I moved down the line with this one buyer. And as I moved forward, I, w I could see in the communications that the buyer was not the right buyer. He was not communicating with me like a, a true, credible, legitimate buyer was. And it was just totally surprising to me because I knew this person and I you know, I, I, I still know them and I like them and I have a lot of respect for them, but they just, they just weren't the right buyer for this property. And so in the middle of all this, I, I just had to shut it down. I said, I, this is not the direction that I want to go. And, but nevertheless, it confirmed that there was demand and there was value out there. And I almost signed an agreement and sold the property early on. And then I might've been in trouble with the, the other side of the 1031 exchange and being able to find my my replacement property quickly enough. And so um, it was just the relationship, this relationship that you don't know about somebody completely enough until you, after you start working with them. Yeah, so I'm just curious, what happens if you try to do a 1031 exchange and then you sell your property and then you don't find another one? You just end up paying like capital gains on it or how does yeah. that work? Yeah, yeah, that's my understanding. I've not done, I've not had to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've always found the replacement property but yeah, you're gonna pay the capital gains tax on it, which a lot of people choose to anyway. And that's not the end of the world. You got a big capital gain, you go out and buy another property and do your cost segregation, bonus depreciation study, and now you could probably shelter most of that gain yeah. with uh, with the equity that you're using in your in your next property. Um, it's not the end of the world. Gotcha. Good deal. Well, I appreciate that story. Let me ask you this. What's one piece of marketing advice you would give another capital raiser who's just getting started? If I said, John, I'm going to start raising capital, what should I be doing? You should be thinking hard about what skills you bring to the table. If you think you know people who would invest in your deal, why is that? What particular skill do you have? Not that, oh, I'm good on the phone. I can sell um, ice cubes to, to Eskimos kind of thing. I that's really not credible. And people have the skills. I, I've talked to so many people who just love, they're just lamenting about, oh, I could never do that because I just so hard to get the first step. And it's the, and so, so you ask it, well, what do you do? And then they start describing their current job or their education or something like that. And you realize this person has a lot to offer potentially to a deal. There may be an analytical mind or a skill with spreadsheets or an understanding of how things work, building systems, or they're organized. They've gone through, like I've had certification in project management. There's a professional certification that I got a number of years ago, but boy, the things that it teaches you 
about organization and every deal needs that kind of person. And it's it's about communicating to investors. It's about remembering to get get everybody lined up to, and all the paperwork in order. It's about all, all the different communications. So think of thinking about that. What do you have to offer to the deal? That's that's one of the first things. If you want to raise capital, you, you never know for sure that you can until you're doing it for the first time because you have a lot of people in your network who say. Gosh, I sure want to invest in a deal that you have. And and um, when it comes right down to it, asking them for the money, time to upload your money to our bank account. And well, I'm going to pass on this deal. Yeah, maybe the next one, because it sounds interesting, but if things are a little tight for me now, um, all that stuff happens. It happens in every deal with every every capital raiser. Um, you need to be prepared for it. and um, And you don't want to jeopardize your deal for not being able to raise it. And so keeping your commitments low, yeah. Um, you know, if, it, if it's it's hard to bring on a capital raiser who's going to only raise a small amount of money, but maybe you try to find a deal like that. Maybe you join a deal that doesn't require you to raise capital and build your experience in it, that you're, you're only going to benefit as a small percentage of the general partner's equity when the property gets sold. You're not going to make any money, not much cash flow as the deal progresses. That should be okay. You're going to work hard, demonstrate your skills, and then you use that skill to go on to the next deal. You, you you gradually build bigger deals. You talk about your experiences, what you contributed, and and little by little, you're you're growing into bigger deals. It's not necessarily even without with cash out of your pocket. It's because of the skills and and value you added to the deals that you participated in. Those are all what they're looking for from for a capital raiser. Yeah, that makes sense. That's good stuff. All right, so we are recording this in January of 2023. As you look forward to the rest of this year, what are you most focused on with your business? I am tremendously focused on finding deals because they're harder. It needs yeah. more attention. The deals today... There's a uh, there's a gap between what sellers expect from the sale of the property. They've owned it for a few years, and and uh, up until last year, they had high expectations. Now their expectations might be reduced a little because any buyer is going to have a high uh, interest rate on a loan, probably unless they're assuming a loan, and um, that limits what they could pay for it. That cuts into their income and the value of the property, and the seller's got to re- recognize it. And so. So a seller putting a property on the market today probably knows that and probably adjusted the price somewhat for it. That wasn't the case six months ago when interest rates were high. Sellers were were still thinking that they could get top dollar from the properties. And then especially the res, you know, residential real estate market, but also commercial, so not a lot of deals got done. The gap between what a buyer can pay and what a seller expects is just too wide. And that's continuing today. It makes it harder to find the deal, but that's that's where people like me need to be focusing and and joining others who have found a good deal. That's something I'm I'm totally interested in doing. Also, I'm helping somebody else raise capital and performing the other services on deals. It's something that I can do because I'm not necessarily. I mean, I source a lot of most of my own deals, but I don't have to be doing that. I I just want to see good deals. That's where I think the time and effort needs to be spent this year. Sounds good. 
if anybody listening or watching wants to get more info from you or learn more about what you're doing, how can they do so? Couple ways. Um, one is just hit me up at learnaboutapartments.com. That's one way. You can go to my website. I'm Cardinal Oak Investments. So it's www.cardinaloak.com or my email address, John J O H N at cardinaloak.com. All right. Sounds great. Well, I've really enjoyed having you on the show today. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. It's fun talking with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show. I had a great time making it, and I hope you really enjoyed yourself listening to it. If you want to keep up with all things Real Estate Investor Marketing Stories podcast related, I encourage you strongly to go to reimarketingstories.com and signing up for our podcast newsletter. We will simply keep you up to date with what's going on with the show, new episodes, and things like that. reimarketingstories.com. So hopefully today's episode and the other episodes that you'll listen to will remind you that as a real estate investor, everybody starts at the beginning, okay? Um, Our guest today and the other guests that you will hear on the show will share their real story, right? They'll tell you what worked, what didn't work. And I want you to remember one thing if you remember nothing else today. It's possible for you to, okay? Never stop going and keep following your passion. Finally, today's show has been brought to you by CapitalRaisingAutomations.com. If you're an active capital raiser and you're ready to learn the three areas that are holding you back from raising more capital, I strongly suggest you check out CapitalRaisingAutomations.com. Check out our free 10-minute video there, and you let me know if it doesn't provide you value. I'm sure it will. All right, thanks again for listening to the show this week. Hope to see you next time. Take care.